Well, hello and welcome, everyone. Before we dive into an incredible look at the resurrection and the implications of it, let me make a plug for next Sunday, okay? Next Sunday, I begin a short two-part series called Deconstructing and Reconstructing. Here's what it's about. It is a very common thing for people to go through seasons of doubt regarding faith and beliefs. I'll bet some of you are in that season right now. I know I have been in the past, and I'm going to share some of those experiences next week about the seasons where I wondered if I would be able to hang on to my Christian beliefs or not. And it's commonly called deconstructing the faith today. So we're going to take a candid look at that, talk about the ins and outs of it, talk, talk about uh, some of the implications of that for your life. And I think you're going to find it not only very personal, but hopefully very, very informational and encouraging. So that starts next Sunday. I want you to be a part of that. Well, we live in a world that is very violent and broken and desperate. I, I noted some of the headlines from just the past week. And some of the headlines over the last seven days say that COVID is up over 10% in the past two weeks. Russia is intensifying the brutality of its attacks on Ukraine. The Taliban is executing former Afghan soldiers in Afghanistan. Gasoline prices at the pump continue to soar. Mass shooting on crowded subway in Brooklyn. Now, those are just a few of the sort of chaotic, disturbing headlines that are in the news. And yet, here we are on this Sunday morning, gathered together with Christians all around the world to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And of all the great days on the Christian calendar, this is certainly the greatest of all. Because without the resurrection, please hear me loud and clear, without the bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead, Christianity would have no solid foundation. In fact, I'll go a step further. Without the resurrection, there is literally no basis for hope for this chaotic world. So, since my sermon's a bit briefer than usual today, I'm going to ask you to really focus. Debbie and I have two wonderful grandchildren we're so thankful for. They are Bexley, who's a little over two years old, and Fletcher, who is about seven months old. And they are adorable, naturally, right? Because they have such great, wonderful grandparents and all that. Well, Bexley is the older one, and she's a little over two. She is very, very verbal, okay, using all kinds of words, and her knowledge of vocabulary is growing so, so incredibly these days. And um, her, as a two-year-old, she struggles like most two-year-olds at times when it comes time to get her shoes on or or go to bed or pick up her toys. And so her parents, like good parents, Sean and Allie are regularly saying to Bexley, okay, now, Bexley, focus, focus. 
or when they're helping her pick up her toys and she's distracted and wants to do something else. Okay, now, Bexley, let's focus. Let's focus right now. So she's getting this message of focus and how important it is. Well, a few days ago, it was hilarious. Bexley was really excited about breakfast and Allie was getting her breakfast ready, but Allie was a little slower than usual. She was distracted with some things, a couple of texts she was answering. And so little Bexley walks up to her, looks up and says, Mommy, you need to focus. (laughs) Yeah, isn't it great when your kids remind you of your own rules? Isn't that awesome? Well, since we've got a little less time this morning, let's take Bexley's advice and let's focus today. Right out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I want to declare three of the amazing implications of the resurrection, which is what we're celebrating today with Christians all around the world. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will drive these truths supernaturally home to our hearts. Here's the first one. Because of the resurrection, I know that my sins can be forgiven. I get that from verse 17. It says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Now, why would we still be in our sins if Christ has not been raised from the dead? That's an important question. Well, last week, I talked all about the cross, right? And I, I, I said the cross is a game changer. And I said all these things about the cross. I said, we once were lost and now we're found. We once were dead in our trespasses and sins, but now we are forgiven of all that and we are alive and free in Christ. And on and on. I said all these things last week and they are all true because it was through the cross that Jesus took our place. He paid the penalty that our sins demanded. And on those grounds alone, are we forgiven and we no longer have this death sentence hanging over our heads? Paul puts it like this in Romans chapter 4. He says, he, that is Jesus, was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. I want you to note that phrase, was raised to life for our justification. God raised him from the dead in order to demonstrate his acceptance of the sacrifice that Christ has made. It was God the Father's way of saying, I approve this. It is adequate for sin to be forgiven and humanity to be justified before me. Now, let let me try to illustrate this with a practical illustration. If you pay someone with a check and they deposit that check into their account, it has to be cleared by the bank, right, before it's actually available to them. But until it's cleared by the bank, if you look it up in your account, it'll say funds on hold or something to that effect. It's like the bank is acknowledging, yes, we've received this, but it's not fully valid until the moment it is cleared. And at that moment, once it's cleared, those funds will become actively available 
to you. Now listen, the resurrection is kind of like the clearing of the check Jesus paid for our sin. Oh, the payment he made was real. It was not some bogus sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, but until the Father cleared it by raising Jesus from the dead, it's as though our justification were still on hold. But the Father cleared it and declared it valid and acceptable by raising Jesus from the dead. Now let me ask you, if someone were to put you on the spot, face to face, and say, have you ever accepted that? Have you ever responded to what God did by raising Jesus from the dead and what Jesus did for, for you at the cross? How would you, how would you answer that? You see, here's what I believe. I believe that every one of us in our more honest moments know that there's something amiss. We know that we are guilty because our conscience disturbs us. We know something, something is not right between us and God. But here's the good news. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we can be forgiven and justified before God. And just in a few minutes from now, I'm gonna invite you to pray a prayer with me where if the Holy Spirit is preparing you, you can be forgiven and justified and enter into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. But here's the second thing I wanna declare from this amazing chapter, chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Because of the resurrection, I know that my faith has a solid foundation. By the way, I get that also from verse 17, where it says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Now, here's what I know about those of us listening online, those of us at Saratoga, Half Moon, Latham, wherever you're hearing this message, here's what I know about us. We all have faith in something, don't we? I mean, some of you have ultimate faith in yourself. You're willing to bet on yourself. Some of you put your trust or your faith in the American economy, and you've staked your whole financial future on that. Some of you uh, are married, and you have faith in a spouse, and you trust that person implicitly. Some of you trust in your health. Some of you trust in your career. Some of you trust in your company that you work for. Now listen, listen. Every one of these things that I've mentioned is worthy of your trust until it isn't. Every one of these things I've mentioned is worthy of your faith and trust until it lets you down. You put your trust in that family member and they betray you or let you down. You put your trust in the economy and it collapses. You put your trust in your company and they downsize and let you go and you're disillusioned and it breaks your heart because you thought you'd be there until you retired. See, here's what I know about life. We can trust in things and we think they're trustworthy, and we can spend our lives climbing a ladder and get to the top only to realize it's leaning against the wrong wall. 
And so here's a principle I would just throw out to you this Easter Sunday morning when we celebrate the resurrection. If you're putting your ultimate faith in anything, anything you can use, lose, that's a shaky way to live. You can be left empty and despairing in a moment. And in the meantime, you're filled with anxiety because you kind of sense how unstable it all is. But here's, here's where putting your faith in Christ is very, very different. I read here from verse uh, 25, where he says, for he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. That says that by his resurrection, Christ has defeated the biggest, baddest, enemy of all, which is death. And because he's defeated the biggest, most powerful enemy, death, it means by implication that he's defeated every other lesser enemy. I mean, you name it. You name the enemy. You name the challenge you have. I want to tell you, Jesus has defeated it by his resurrection from the dead. And that's why my faith has a solid foundation. My faith is not futile, futile because the resurrection of Jesus has demonstrated his power over every conceivable enemy, the most awesome of which is death itself. Amen. So here's the personal question. What do you have? No, really, don't, don't slough this question off. What do you have in your life that you can trust in no matter what? No matter what happens to the economy, no matter what happens with those people in your life, no matter what happens to your health, no matter what happens to your company, what do you have that you can trust in no matter what? I'm going to tell you, all those human props, all those human relationships, as wonderful as they may be, will all eventually fall short only Jesus Christ is ultimately trustworthy. And that's why I'm commending him to you today. That's why I'm yearning. That's why I'm crying out. That's why I'm urging you today to put your faith and your trust solidly in Jesus Christ. And in just a few minutes, I'm gonna pray and invite you to open your life to him and receive the forgiveness of sins and salvation through a relationship with him. But there's one final thing I want to declare on this great resurrection Sunday, and that is because of the resurrection, I know, I know that there's life beyond the grave. Now, this is super important. I read from verse 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we're to be pitied more than all people. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. I, I don't want you to miss the impact of what that firstfruits word means. It means that Jesus' resurrection is a prototype of ours. 
It means, first fruits means the first of many more like it to come. And we have confidence in life after death because Jesus' resurrection demonstrates for us that it is indeed a reality. Now, when you think about death, I'm curious what feelings that conjures up for you. Can I tell you, most people I've known, and I have had so many conversations with people about death, so many people on their deathbed, so many people who had a bad diagnosis from the doctor, so many people, and most people fear death as much as just about anything. In fact, the book of Hebrews talks about that. It speaks of people who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Think about that. Millions of people are that way today. They can't enjoy living because they're afraid of dying. And the brevity of life is shocking and people wonder, well, my gosh, it's so quick. This life is, it's like a snap of a finger and it's gone. What happens when I die? Have you ever wondered that? I would suggest to you there are three possibilities. Three possibilities. One is that there's nothing beyond the grave. Richard Dawkins is in his early 80s. He's one of the leaders of the new atheist movement, and he would espouse this view. When he was asked, how do you understand death? He said this, death is a general anesthetic. You know nothing about it. You just cease to exist. Now, what do you think about that? I think that view, philosophically, is filled with many problems that I don't have time to go into right now, but here's the practical problem with it. It leaves life purposeless and meaningless, but that is the first option for what happens beyond the grave, nothing. But there's a second option that is a whole lot more popular. It's called reincarnation. And have you noticed that millions of people just love this option of reincarnation because they think, wow, I've botched this life up pretty bad, but I get another go at it. I get a do-over. It doesn't matter how much I've messed up. I can always get it right in the next life. And so uh, reincarnation The view that goes with this teaches that you develop either good karma or bad karma as you live. And if you really do well, you get some good karma, and you'll come back as something better in the next go-around. But if you don't do so well, then you may come back as a cockroach or a worm. What do you think of that? Huh? One man complained to his wife. He said, oh, no, what if I come back as a worm? She said, it'll never happen. You can't be the same thing twice. Yeah, but there's a glorious third option I would commend to you, and that is when your physical body dies, the real you goes on living, and you are evaluated by Almighty God. By the way, the only being who would be adequate to do such a thing because he's the only one who's omniscient and knows everything. And you go on living in another place, either in God's presence or shut out irrevocably from his presence. Now, if I were you and you were pondering, is that a possibility? 
I would want to know, has anybody ever been there, any credible witness, and come back to tell about it? And the glorious answer is, yes, Jesus Christ went there and came back to tell us about it. That's precisely what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And so because of his resurrection, life after the grave is no longer this quaint little idea, this hopeful aspiration. It is a solid reality built into history. And we can know it with confidence. That's why Paul states with crystal clarity in his second letter to the Corinthians, he says, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. Do you get the meaning of that? The same father who raised Jesus from the dead is gonna raise us who are in Christ also to be in his presence forever. Boy, that fills my heart. That fills my heart with excitement. It fills my heart with confidence because we can know that there's so much more waiting for us beyond the grave. That gives life meaning and purpose and every moment matters. And by the way, that's why Paul gets a little bit saucy here in this letter When he says toward the end of chapter 15, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, oh, death is your victory? Where, oh, death is your sting? And then he says, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord. Do you know what Paul is doing right there? He's trash talking death. That's what he's doing. He's literally mocking death. Paul is staring death in the eyes and said, death, you got no game. You got no game. Because of what happened at the empty tomb as Jesus was raised, death has lost its sting. And it has no power over us anymore. You can't even hurt anybody, Paul says. Because Jesus has been raised from the dead, and for those who are trusting in him, there is victory, victory, victory. And that's why he goes on to say in that final verse of this chapter, he says, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. In other words, because all of this is true, please don't fritter your life away on trivia. Every moment matters. Do not waste your life because it is profoundly meaningful. And significant. Now, I wonder what God's Spirit is doing in you right now. You see, if He's drawing you in this moment, I want to invite you to pray a prayer with me in these closing moments before our worship team returns and before we continue on in worship for just a little bit longer. I want to invite you to pray with me. Now, only God can get you ready for a moment like this. I have no persuasive power. I have no magic to get you there. Only God, the Holy Spirit, can bring you to a point where you're ready to receive Christ. But I've got a strong feeling that some of you are ready. And you're listening to me right now, whether online, you're listening to me in one of our sanctuaries, 
And the Holy Spirit is saying, this is your moment for Almighty God. And I'm gonna ask you right now to bow your head with me and just pray a prayer. And I'm gonna ask this time that we would all pray it out loud. I know scores and scores of you already know Christ. You're walking with him, wonderful. I'm gonna ask you to pray it too, would you? Let's all say these words out loud. And if this represents the desire of your heart, for those of you who've never trusted Christ, May this be the moment that you enter in to that saving relationship with him. Are you ready to pray? Let's bow our heads and let's all just pray it out loud together. Oh God, say it out loud. Thank you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for caring about my soul. Please forgive my sin. Adopt me into your family and begin to change me from the inside out. Father, I pray for all of those who prayed that prayer in sincerity right now. Thank you for the miracle you're doing in their soul, for how you're changing them, for how you are calling them into a relationship with you that has just started. You alone can do that. And Lord, we give you praise today as we continue to celebrate the glorious resurrection of Jesus and all that that means. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen, amen and amen. Praise God.